0: And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for uh, spending time with me today. I always, um, I always look forward to being with you. And if you miss any of the shows, you know I always encourage you to maybe go to the podcast, and you can you can hear what you missed. But uh, today we're going to talk about the cost of control, why we crave it, the anxiety it gives us, and the real power that God promises. The cost of control, Rosie. This I don't know. I don't struggle with control. This uh. she's lost me already. <laughs> <laughs> I think I saw the title and went, "Oh boy, I better ask for ten books for myself." No you know, kidding, right? Like yeah, to, I mean, like it, keep in my car, one in my notebook. I mean, one in my briefcase, one in the studio. Yeah, this cost of control. Why? Why do we crave control? Because we're all nuts about trying to get it and trying to keep it. And makes it, it f- us feel safe. I think. Oh, you know. Y- yes, we don't like uncertainty. No, I feel like it always for me, if I am buying, vying for control, my root of trust in the Lord is shallow-y, shallow planted. Yeah. Like it needs to go deeper. I need to transfer more over to him. Yeah. I think it's, I think we just can't stand uncertainty. Mm-hmm. I think right. that's all of us. Yeah. So we're yeah. going to talk today to uh, Sharon Hottie Miller. She's written a book called Everything I Just Said, The Cost of Control, Why We Crave It, The Anxiety It Gives Us, and The Real Power God Promises. Sharon, welcome.
1: Hi, guys. It's great to be with you. Yeah.
0: Well, you are a teaching pastor at uh, Bright City Church in Durham, North Carolina,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: uh, you've authored some books, and this one is fascinating. So, was this a pandemic book that you wrote?
1: Yes. It's funny. You were the first person who's asked me that, and it makes me laugh because during the pandemic, I kept just saying to myself, I will not write a pandemic book. <laughs> I will not write <laughs> a ah. pandemic book. Uh. <laughs> And here we are.
0: (laughs) I mean, isn't it safe to say, though, that the pandemic just brought on a level of anxiety across people and churches and everything in life that is just bigger than we've ever seen?
1: Yeah, it it definitely did. It it exposed a lot about what was going on underneath the surface of a lot of our faith. And, you know, that happens anytime we face something challenging is we tend to blame our response, our fear, our bad behavior, our anxiety, whatever, on the thing. But trials often function a lot more like storms. We we live out, uh, we're in North Carolina. This is hurricane country. Mm-hmm. And so whenever a hurricane comes through and knocks down trees or, you know, branches fall down those were just the trees that were already sick or that were already shallowly rooted or the branches were dead. So it just exposes what was already there. And the pandemic had a similar effect, just this exposing effect where it revealed a lot about our relationship with control. And you hit the nail on the head what you said earlier, how we have this deep intolerance for uncertainty. And you could see that in how people responded. And so as a pastor, you know, I'm watching all this and thinking, okay, you know, we've got some work to do. And that was the seed of writing this book.
0: Okay. Fill in the blank, uh, Sharon. uh, When we talk about people who struggle with control and fill in the blank, he is a control freak. Freak. Yeah. (laughs) That's the word I was looking for. So we don't have a great association with people that struggle with control, and I, I would say that's most of us. Now, are you a control freak?
1: I mean, everyone struggles with control. Yeah. And part of the reason that we know everyone struggles with control is because this is what happens in Genesis 3. You know, Adam and Eve, up until the sin enters the world, Adam and Eve are living in the garden with perfect peace, perfect power, perfect influence, perfect you know unity with one another and with God. They have everything they need but they do not possess control. And that ultimately becomes the sticking point between their wills and God's. And so they ultimately decide they know better. They want more knowledge. They want God-like stature. And so they eat of that fruit of the tree of knowledge. And unfortunately that single decision, it rewrote all of creation. It, It kind of changed the blueprint of creation. Now, now it's cracked by sin And so every human that came after, and we see this actually throughout Genesis, wrestles with control in different ways. And so this is a fundamental human struggle. And if you think that you don't struggle with control, which is actually me, like three years ago before writing this, I did not think I struggled with control. But part of the research of this book was discovering, no, I just misunderstood some of the ways that it manifests in my life. But we all struggle with it.
0: All right, Sharon, I'm going to make sure I get your name right. Is is it Hody or Hottie?
1: It's Hottie. It's hottie. German.
0: Yeah, of course it's German. <laughs> Sharon, Sharon,
2: hottie Miller. <laughs> Sharon
0: Hottie Miller is my guest. She's written a book called The Cost of Control, Why We Crave It, The Anxiety It Gives Us, and The Real Power God Promises. Now, Sharon, uh, you discussed the act of naming and referring mm-hmm. to it throughout the book. Why is naming so important? Mm-hmm.
1: So I give a lot of Space in the book to just dissecting control you know whenever we talk about control and how we shouldn't let go of control the obvious question is well then what what should I do what is the solution and I do not get to that until the very end of the book and in the introduction I explain why why do I spend so much time on understanding the problem of control and it's because we, there's a lot of power in naming something accurately and understanding it thoroughly. And when we name something accurately, that actually resolves a lot of the problem just right out of the gate. And it's, it's really beautiful, not to get like all theological, I don't know how interested your listeners are in, in theology. Very. But in Genesis 1, when God is, you know, creating, He's naming and the first thing that that he creates and names is light and so ever since that moment anytime we name something we we bring it into the light in the way that we can understand it and the most obvious way that we experience this is with our you know physical health with with you know medical problems if you have the incorrect diagnosis if you name your symptoms the cause of it incorrectly then you are going to try and heal it in the wrong way. And so it's really important to take your time to name something accurately and really understand it. And so I really tease that out just in the very beginning of the book and say, I know you want to know what to do instead of control. I know I know, but first we really need to take our time and understand where did the struggle come from? Why do we struggle with it? How do we struggle with it? What are the consequences? And then we will get to the solution.
0: Wow. So that's a lot of thoroughness right up front which is good because Mm -hmm. you really can't know what you're battling against if you can't name it
1: a hundred percent. And one of the things that Christians do is we'll say, you know, the pandemic is a really great example. I feel this way because of the pandemic. I feel anxious because of the pandemic that is partially true, but it is only a half truth because we know who is in charge we know that God is not suddenly not on the throne because of a pandemic. And so if we are responding as if God is not on the throne, as if God is not in charge, then that is showing us something else going on inside of us as well. And so if we just rush past it to say, I feel this way because of the pandemic, we don't pause and ask, but why am I responding? responding this way, mm-hmm. then we are missing out on an opportunity to heal and to grow. Mm-hmm.
0: Sharon Hottie Miller is my guest. She's written a book called The Cost of Control. Now, maybe we should start uh, defining even uh, what what is control. Maybe we should start mm-hmm. there. So
1: I actually define control in two different ways. The first way I define it is the way that we Typically think of control is the ability to impose your will on circumstances or people, you know, wanting to control things or people in your life. But there's another way that I define control, which is simply the feeling that it gives you. You know, we're looking for that feeling of certainty or predictability or, you know, confidence. And What was so fascinating to me in researching this book was learning that very often it's just the feeling that we are after. And that's where we get this term, the illusion of control. Have you ever used that phrase, the illusion
0: of control before? Yeah, Yeah, I have too. I don't know what it means, but I've used it.
1: Well, I so in my research, I discovered that that is actually a psychological term. And it was coined in the 70s by a researcher who was noticing this. It's It's almost like a human pathology where we will imagine we have control where we don't have any at all. And one yeah. really funny example of this. They did a study on casino players who, when they want to roll a high number, they would shake the dice harder. And when they want to roll a low number, they would shake the dice softer. And, I mean, we know that's not a thing. Like, that doesn't make, that doesn't, (laughs) there's nothing that affects what you roll by if you shake it hard or soft. It's the illusion of control. But what what was also really fascinating about it is is we imagine we have control in all these different ways. You know, you think of athletes that wear the same socks during the playoffs, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is. But they found that when you believe that you are in control, whether or not you actually are at all, it actually does make you feel better for a period of time. It actually does lower your anxiety, actually does lower your depression. And so we experience some success in this for a short period of time, but because it is an illusion, eventually that illusion is shattered. Eventually we are confronted with reality. But that is why we so desperately seek after control is that when we do feel it, it actually does make us feel better.
0: Mm-hmm. Sharon Hottie Miller is my guest. Her book is The Cost of Control, Why We Crave It, The Anxiety It Gives Us, and The Real Power God Promises. We'll take a break, and we'll be right back with uh, Sharon in just a minute. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. My guest today is Sharon Hottie Miller. She's written a book called The Cost of Control. And isn't it great news that God God didn't give us control. He gave us something better. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on. But Sharon, uh, her new book is dealing with the cost of control because people who are serious about control are paying a price. And earlier on in uh, the show, we, called, we filled it in the blank and people after the word control usually use the word freak which Mm -hmm. is not very, very nice. But um, maybe we could just ask the question, Sharon, why is our culture so uh, chronically anxious right now?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, well, part of it is because of our relationship with control. So to back up just a little bit, you know, you mentioned the title of the book is The Cost of Control. And part of how I got to that, that title and the message of the book is realizing I was wrestling with control but knowing that I shouldn't control because I've, I've been a Christian my whole life I know I should not control I should trust God I should surrender I should have faith but at some point I was just realistic about the fact that that was not helping me at all <laughs> in the middle of you know trying to control something knowing that I shouldn't do it was not motivating to me. And so as I was digging into scripture and digging into that that Genesis three moment that I mentioned earlier where Adam and Eve, you know, reach for more control than God has given them, I discovered that anytime we reach for control, we are reenacting that moment. We're just reenacting that moment again and again, every day of our lives. But we are also reenacting its consequences. And so what we see in Adam and Eve immediately after they eat that fruit is we see anxiety, we see shame, we see relational division between them and between themselves and God. And that is also written now into creation. It's it's something that we cannot escape. Whenever we reach for a control that God has not given us, we will reenact those consequences. It will always come with a cost. And it's not an if, it's a win. And so that was really helpful for me in terms of reframing my relationship with control. You know, whenever I am wrestling with, you know, maybe with my husband, we lead our church together. And so we are oftentimes making decisions together. And I don't know if any other married couples who are listening to this can relate, but sometimes we don't agree. Oh, come on. And-
0: <laughs> I'm, putting, I'm putting out an alert. I've never heard this before.
1: <laughs> yeah, sometimes we see things differently. And, you know, because it's the church we're talking about, it's vision, direction, right. you know, it really matters. And so it's very tempting for me to pressure him and to coerce him or, you know, to try and like verbally outmaneuver him to get him to do what I want. It's, it's tempting to try and control him. And realizing I can do that, I can get my way. But it is going to cost my marriage somehow. It is going to come with a cost
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so I know this is a long way to answer your question, but first of all, just realizing you know the stakes are high that way that I can get my way in this moment, but it's going to come with a cost that's actually going to be worse than what I think is the immediate good interesting so that's been that's been helpful. But then that anxiety piece, so going back to, you know, you ask about anxiety, and, and we see that, that fear just immediately in Genesis 3, as soon as, as Adam, you know, realizes, you know, what he has done, feels overwhelmed, you know, by this new knowledge that he has acquired. And it says that he, he says to God, I was afraid because I was naked. And we assume that that is solely about shame, but that's not what he says. He doesn't say... I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed because I'm naked. He says I'm afraid,
2: mm-hmm. and so
1: it's it's clear here that he is realizing all of a sudden, in the most terrible way possible, that he got what he asked for, that he wanted to be in control, and now he's realizing that that means pushing off the protection of God. So mm-hmm. he understands his vulnerability, and so anxiety is is really one of the first you know consequences of of control in Genesis three and. Similarly, whenever we try to control something that God has not given us to control, it creates anxiety in us. You know, we experience this in really harmless ways, like when your your package hasn't arrived at 2 p.m. and you go on and you click refresh on the tracking information and and the package doesn't move and then you hit refresh again and the package still hasn't moved and, you know, you're, you're going to this Internet to empower you and it's not working at all. But we experience this in really urgent ways when we have someone that we love and and we're desperate to see them turn around from this path of destruction and we're doing everything that we can to get them, to convince them, you know, to turn away and just the deep anxiety of that moment. And so we we experience this control anxiety relationship in, in a lot of different ways. But the reason it is exacerbated by our culture is that we live in a culture that because of technology promises us control and constantly is saying, oh, you can be in control. You know, you can know what's happening on the other side of the world right now at all times. You can know, you know, what time your flight is getting in. You can know what, what time that package is going to arrive. You can know what the weather is going to be in five days. And so we're constantly promised control, but returning to what I mentioned earlier about the illusion of control, it's just an illusion. It's not actual control. It's Mm -hmm. just an illusion of control. And so we are going to our technology. We're going to our smartphones thinking this is going to empower me, but we're just going to an illusion is what we're going to. And so that is why so many of us are are anxious is we're trying to control things that we actually can't control. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. So interesting. Um, I want to tell a story that I've heard, and it's a short one. I don't know where it originated, but it was a father and a little daughter, and they were in a crowded uh, place, and the dad said to her, uh, hold my hand. And the daughter said, no, you hold my hand. And he said, what's the difference? He said, if I hold your hand, I might lose it, but if you hold my hand, I'll never lose it because you Mm -hmm. won't let me go. Mm-hmm. And I think of this situation where I know this expression: "Let go and let God." We want to mm-hmm. give up control, and I, I think it's there's a greater partnership that's out there. I mean, because we mm-hmm. talk about human responsibility and initiative, and uh, we want to go do the very best job we can do every day, and have some uh, predictability of an outcome, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So to me, that sounds like we're trying to control, but at the end of the day, we surrender all to God, and we put everything in his hands.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, and that's 100% right. But I will add, a big part of the arc of the book is that we don't have control, but that doesn't mean that we just lay down and play dead and we just let God work in the world, that he has actually commissioned us into the world to partner with him, and he has empowered us for that purpose. And so part of what we need to do is to put down the power that God has not given us to pick up the power that he has. Oh,
0: I like that. That's good. I, I love that, that God has given us the, the, the power to influence ourselves and, and others. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe you would talk about that.
1: Yeah, so that that's kind of the what I was just alluding to is I talk about how God doesn't give us control but right. he does give us agency. I like that. And that word agency if that feels really unfamiliar to anyone, it I define it exactly as you just said. All it is is really talking about influence. It's the power to influence yourself and the power to influence your circumstances. And when we turn back to Genesis 1 and 2, so before Adam and Eve reached for control, we see them they're they're not prisoners, they're not puppets, they're not robots. They have purpose, they have authority, they have influence, they have a calling. And so I look at the very end of the book at different forms of agency, the way that this expresses itself in Genesis 1 and 2, so that we can then ask the question, okay, I, I shouldn't control in this situation, but what does it look like to exercise agency here?
0: hmm I like that. Sharon Hadi Miller is my guest. Her book is *The Cost of Control*: Why We Crave It, the Anxiety It Gives Us, and the Real uh, Power That God Promises. So let's talk about habits of control because I think we we all have got our routines and our habits. And when it comes to certain uh, control issues, we go back to our habits about them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Expose that to us, Sharon.
1: Yeah, so I I have a whole section of the book looking at different ways that we try to either exert control or feel in control. And a big one that I don't know about other folks, I did not associate as being about control at all until researching this book was knowledge and information, that we go to knowledge to give us a sense of control, but we also expect knowledge to kind of help us to control other people and this shouldn't come as a surprise because at ground zero of control entering the world it was around a tree of knowledge but it's it's very very common for us to go to knowledge expecting it to kind of make us feel better mm-hmm. and again this was what we did when the pandemic hit is is everyone starts taking their fears to the internet instead of to god You know, we're going online, reading every article we can find about what is this new virus? Mm -hmm. Where is it spreading? How does it spread? How can I, you know, protect myself? And so we're going to information thinking it's going to make us feel secure and safe. And it actually only made us more anxious Mm -hmm. instead.
0: Yeah. Sharon, let me take a uh, interruption here only because we have to go to a hard break. So let me uh, just say, I'm so excited. You can spend more time with us and our our listeners. So Sharon Hade Miller is my guest. The Cost of Control is her book. We'll be right back.
2: Show with Bill Arno. Time, drive time, let's get it started. Jump in your car, yeah. what's for dinner? Yeah. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno.
0: Thanks for tuning in today. I'm awfully glad you did, and I like spending time with you, so, um, so far it makes me very happy. My guest today is Sharon Hottie Miller, and she claims uh, Hottie is German, and I'm not going to have any kind of... Um, Confrontation with her on that because I, I I don't know otherwise. So her book is called "The Cost of Control: Why We Crave It, The Anxiety It Gives Us, and the Real Power God Promises." So Sharon, I did I did cut you off as we were talking about the habits of control, and I would like to get back our you know to the question: What are some ways we can identify our habits of control?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so we were talking about going to knowledge to either exert control or give us a sense of control and how commonly we do this and how tempting it is especially in the age of the internet. You know, another another habit that a lot of us can probably relate to is going to the internet when you have some sort of medical symptom, you know, and googling it and asking, you know, why do I feel this tingling in my elbow? And then you get, you know, 18 different answers (laughs) about what it could be. And so you go to the Internet expecting it to empower you or to stabilize you or to, you know, soothe your anxieties in some way. And I don't know about you, but that has never happened to me. (laughs) (laughs) My medical system, I always end up thinking it's like the worst thing. I actually had about a year ago, I was having some stomach pain and so I Googled everything and I had come up with what I thought was the diagnosis and it was like worst case scenario kind of a thing. And then I went to my GI doctor and I walked into the room and I told her, you know, about my research and about my conclusions based on what I had researched. And you know what she said to me? She said, she said, get off the internet. (laughs) That's what she said. So I think we, we can all relate to that. We are going to the Internet to soothe our anxieties with more knowledge. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, that that isn't what happens. And so that's one way that that happens is it ends up exacerbating our anxieties more. But another way that we actually rely on knowledge and information is to control other people. And this is, again, not to pick on the Internet, but I think a lot of social media is kind of predicated on that sort of interaction where I'm gonna just pelt you with data. I'm gonna pelt you with mm-hmm. all these studies that I have found that support my position as if this is going to change someone's mind. But it, it doesn't, it, it almost never does. I don't know when in like the history of Facebook comment sections has that actually ever worked. But we are coming to one another, ask, acting as if knowledge has that kind of power to change people. And what we're really doing is, is this is a form of control. And like all forms of control, it, it only breaks. It, it doesn't fix. And one of the casualties of control is broken relationships. And I think that's why social media is such a relationally broken place is that's how we're engaging one another. So I would say in terms of one habit of control, a huge one is just to ask, how much time are you spending on the internet? Mm -hmm. You know, whether it is consuming news or engaging with other people on social media, that is a big one. And that's a huge reason why our culture is so chronically anxious.
0: Yeah. Great uh, observation, Sharon. I have a friend who's a doctor and he's got a coffee cup on his desk that people see. And the coffee cup says... My medical degree is better than your Google search, <laughs> <laughs> because I'm sure everybody oh, comes man. in and tells them what's wrong with them. It's like, well, do you want do you want me to do the examination, or you just want to just tell me what's wrong with you? Uh huh.
2: A yeah. hundred percent.
0: Yeah, and that's probably where a lot of us are in that camp. We race to the internet to try to figure out what it is, uh-huh. and all it does is create more anxiety and a, a greater loss of control. So, yeah, right. Interesting point. Okay, now in, in the book and. Sharon's book is called The Cost of Control, Why We Crave It, The Anxiety It Gives, and The Real Power That God Promises. Uh, you dig deep into how we control in the book. So it's knowledge, power, money. You know, wh- wh- what would you say is the most common reason?
1: Why we try to control? Yes. You know, that's a hard-to-answer question, Because I think there's actually three reasons. Is it okay if I give all three?
0: Uh, Indeed. I I insist you do.
1: Okay. So the first reason is what I've mentioned, Genesis 3, our our original parents, Adam and Eve, that was ground zero for when sin entered the world was this act of rebellion, which was this, this grasp for control. And so part of the reason we struggle with control is it's sort of written into our spiritual DNA from that, that moment. We inherited it from them. The second reason that we struggle with control, I've also mentioned is our culture. We live in a culture that constantly promises control and a lot of different things. And, you know, we've talked about predictability and certainty, but another control promise that we are given by our culture concerns our bodies and this is something especially women will relate to is we are constantly promised that we can defy aging and you know here's all these products that can help you to look younger here's all these diets or supplements to help you control your weight or to keep you from getting sick and so we're, we're constantly promised control in all these different ways by our culture. And so that's why another reason why we struggle with it is is we're being sort of almost discipled by our culture to mm-hmm. believe this lie. And then the third reason that we struggle with control, the, the other two are really directly related to our own sin, the sin of humanity. But the third reason is is filled with a lot of mercy and grace. And that is the truth that we struggle with control because the world is not as it should be. You know, we, we live in this post-Genesis 3 world, but we were created for Genesis 1 and 2. We were created for stability and, and for peace. And part of the reason we, we feel this desperate craving for control is that is your soul crying out for security and stability mm-hmm. in a very broken world. And so if, if you're, you know, wishing you could help a loved one who is making terrible decisions, you know, you wish you could intervene and just snatch them out of the jaws of, you know, an addiction or whatever it is, that desire is not sin. That's not pride. That's not idolatry. That That is your soul crying out for the world that it was created for. And, and to know that, that desire ultimately for that person's healing and and to rescue them, that God shares it with you. And and that is why he sent his son at the end of the day was to to heal what we cannot. And so I want to speak grace over everyone in that regard to know, to know that that, that desire for security and stability is not wrong at all. It's just how we pursue it is often where we go off the rails.
0: Mm -hmm. Sharon Hottie Miller is my guest. Her book is called The Cost of Control why we crave it the anxiety it gives us and the real power god promises so i want to talk about theology what does theology have to do with control mhm
2: yeah
1: so in that chapter or in the section of the book about ways that we try to either control people or feel in control i have a whole chapter on theology mhm and, you know, we can use theology to control, that's, that's a cult, essentially, is what that is. Or false teaching is, is when you're using theology to control people. But a much more common and insidious relationship that we have with theology and control is, is called the prosperity gospel. Mm-hmm. And if anyone doesn't know that term... The prosperity gospel it refers to this belief very essentially that god rewards good people for good behavior for being good christians and god punishes bad people or for bad behavior that's all that it is it's a very transactional relationship with god And we see prosperity theology throughout scripture where you see humans, not God, (laughs) not God teaching this, but humans sort of falling into this false teaching. And, And one really obvious example is when the disciples encounter the man born blind. And the first question they ask is, Who sinned? Who sinned? You know, surely someone sinned. And that is why this man is now blind. And that is prosperity theology, this transactional relationship where this this man is being punished because somebody did something wrong. Now, what these men are actually doing in that moment is they are trying to reckon with their own vulnerability in an uncertain world. And so what they're doing is they are creating a narration of faith that makes them feel more in control. Because if they can point to someone to blame for this man's blindness, then they can say, well, I don't do that. And so I'm safe. That's all that prosperity theology does. And that is about control. And so I have found myself doing this as, as well. It's easy to point to kind of, you know, false teachers on, on TV, you know, who are maybe promising things that God never does but i find myself falling into that same thinking when you know i'm i'm scrolling through social media and i see this terrible story and and i think well maybe this happened to them because of the life choices that they made or maybe this happened to them because of the way that they parent or you know this this might be why and and i'm trying to make myself feel better i'm trying to make the world feel more in control than it actually is and even though Proverbs, you know, is full of wisdom for how to live wisely and make good choices so that you can live this this flourishing life. We also have Ecclesiastes, which talks about why do the wicked prosper? And so the world is not nearly as simplistic as, as prosperity theology would have you believe, but we very easily succumb to it because it makes the world feel more in control.
0: Mm-hmm. I see myself doing that. You know, when you hear stories of a friend that have something that went wrong or, you know, you get a call that a friend grew a third eye on their forehead and you go, Oh my, why, what'd they do? And they go, well, you know, he drinks 40 cans of pop a day. And I go,
2: uh-huh.
0: well, what a relief. I'm in control because I don't do that. So I'm not going to get that yep. third eye on my forehead.
1: hundred <laughs> percent.
0: Yeah. I think we all do that to some degree, don't we?
1: Yes. Yeah. It's It's really easy to do it. And There's a a secular version now as well that some of your listeners might have have come across called Manifesting. Have you heard of this? Manifesting? I have
0: heard it, but I don't remember what it meant.
1: Yeah, it's basically this idea that whatever you want your future to be, you need to manifest it. Like, you just need to believe it. And if you just believe it strong enough that it's going to happen. And unfortunately, that, that just is not how Scripture talks about life in the world, because mm-hmm. we live in a broken world where there is injustice and things happen for reasons that we don't understand. But if we act as if bad things happen because it is just somebody's fault— that that type of thinking is going to come for you sooner or later in, in a really cool way when, when something difficult happens to you. And, and then you're left with the question, well, did I fall short in some way? Mm-hmm. You know, did I just not have enough faith?
0: Well, I always pray that prayer, thy will be done. You can certainly have goals and ambitions. You can say, I'm going to be the number one salesperson in the company. And and maybe maybe in theory, you're manifesting that idea. Um, mm-hmm. So I think there is, there is some merit to people with goals and ambitions, but I mm-hmm. always end any prayer or vision with "Thy will be done.
1: Yeah, exactly, because it, it is good to have goals and it is good to work hard and, and have a good work ethic. I mean, that is, as I mentioned earlier, that is so much of what Proverbs is about, is, is saying, you know, this is a good way to live a good life but to also know that sometimes things just don't work out because we live in a broken world and there is grace for that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So good. Sharon Hottie Miller is my guest. Her book, The Cost of Control, Why We Crave It, The Anxiety It Gives Us, and The Real Power God Promises. We'll be right back with Sharon in just a minute. Thanks so much for listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Hey, I'm Suzy Larson. If you enjoy what you're finding here, consider subscribing to some of our
2: other Faith Radio podcasts, like mine, for instance. You can search Suzy Larson Live
0: at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. It is so nice to be meeting Sharon Miller and welcoming her to the show. She's been with us the whole hour, talking about her book, The Cost of Control, Why We Crave It, The Anxiety It Gives Us, and The Real Power God Promises. Now, I still have a bunch of questions, Sharon, and we're kind of running out of time, so I'm going to have to talk fast. You can talk at whatever pace you like. How's that?
1: That sounds great.
0: All right. So, let's talk about uh, changing our views. How do, how can we realize and change our views on control help with burnout? Because a lot of people are burned out right now.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Burnout is one of the costs of control. And and that's in the third section of the book is I look at different costs of control. And, you know, one of those is, is burnout. the The consequences of believing that I not only am in control, but I must be in control for, you know, my family to be okay or for my company or my church or, you know, whatever it is that that you are in charge of believing this illusion that if I take a break, if I rest, if I have boundaries, if I, you know, honor Sabbath, you know, whatever it is, that things are going to fall apart That is all fed by this illusion of control. And because that is a lie and because we are not designed to live that way, it is a recipe for burnout. Mm
0: -hmm. Let's talk again, we touched on this a little bit, but talk about body shame and control and what what Uh advice might you have for someone who's dealing with this?
1: Yeah, that's, that's another cost of control. When you have a control relationship with your body, which unfortunately is just, nurtured by our culture constantly. We're constantly promised that you can make your body submit to you. You can make your body serve you. But because we are aging beings, this, again, is a complete illusion that sooner or later that, that illusion is going to shatter and once your body does not submit to you, once it doesn't, you know, hold up its end of the bargain, as our culture promises, it's easy to start to resent your body or to feel ashamed of your body. And so one of the, the things we've, we've touched on, this idea that God doesn't give us control, but he does give us agency. And so I look in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 at different forms of agency that give us a better framework for engaging ourselves in the world around us with influence, but not control. And one category that I think is a really beautiful way to interact with our relationships with our bodies is this command in Genesis 2 for Adam to care for and watch over the earth, creation care, essentially. And we think of creation care as, you know, don't litter, you know, take care of the environment, recycle, whatever, but it's much, much broader than that. And, and a part of creation is actually our bodies. And so I love thinking in terms of what does it mean to steward my body as a good part of God's creation? So the answer to controlling our bodies is not to neglect our bodies, not to eat junk and never exercise. That's not the answer, because that wouldn't be stewarding God's good creation, and so I think that's a really beautiful and, and much healthier and theologically sound, honestly, way to think about our bodies instead of control or neglect.
0: hmm Sharon, Hadi Miller is my guest. Her book is The Cost of Control. We're talking about control, a topic that I think everybody has an interest in. So, Sharon, what what's the difference between guarding your reputation and controlling your reputation? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's another section. Another chapter in the book is I'm, I'm looking at, you know, the cost of controlling different areas of our lives. And I just talked about the cost of controlling our bodies. And I also have a chapter on the cost of controlling your reputation. And to go back to that control agency breakdown, again, I think this is a really helpful way to think in terms of agency instead of control. And the difference between the two is really the difference between influence versus outcome. You know, influence is is given to us by God. It is a power with, with limitations, whereas control wants to determine the outcome. You know, it wants to determine how things turn out. And with reputation, that's a really important distinction because we are responsible for guarding our names, you know, to having integrity and, and character and to conducting ourselves in a way that is above reproach, to li- live holy lives that are pleasing to God. But what we cannot control is the outcome. We cannot control what every single person around us actually thinks about us. And so once we into that realm of thinking, not just that I need to have integrity, but I also need to control what people think about me, then we have gone off the rails into an area that we have no control over. Mm-hmm. And once we try to control that, it's just another recipe for exhaustion.
0: Mm-hmm. Now let's get to the super exciting part. In the in the last section of The Cost of Control, which mm-hmm. is the name of your book, you, you cover The Real Power God Promises. Uh What is the most exciting promise that you cover Uh in your book?
1: Uh Well, I'll say the subtitle is a little bit misleading because there's more than one power. And I've already named agency. God gives us this power to influence ourselves and the world around us. And there's a lot of different ways that that manifests. But there's another power that he has given us, which is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is, whereas agency is something that is inherent to our humanity, it's, it's something that every single person has, regardless of whether or not they know God, it's what separates us from the animals. But self-control is is a little bit different. It's more about discernment. Tim Keller talks about self-control being the difference between choosing the urgent thing versus the important thing. And so it's, there's a discernment piece here that, that is helping us to navigate those two things. And so we self-control is, is really the only thing that we can control. We can only control ourselves, but we need the Holy Spirit in order to do that. And so that's another power available to us through the Holy Spirit. But at the end of the day, and this is why I say this is it's kind of a misnomer, there's, a, there's more than one power. At the end of the day, our greatest power is Actually, a person, and that is Jesus Christ. Because thanks to sin, thanks to Genesis 3, our agency is broken. And thanks to sin, thanks to Genesis 3, our self-control is broken. And so we are not going to do the things that we should. There are going to be times where we know that we shouldn't try to control, and we do anyway. But thankfully— Jesus lived perfectly. Thankfully, Jesus did what we cannot do. Thankfully, Jesus is the one who can heal this world that we cannot heal. And at the end of the day, that is our hope.
0: Mm -hmm. Sharon, a very thoughtful uh, text came into the show uh, regarding this topic, and the listener said, agency can be a source of misery, too. I pleaded with God to act in a situation where I was deathly afraid to act because of the consequences He didn't, and now I'm realizing only I, not God, should have acted, consequences or not. I don't know why that should be, but the result was and is still painful.
1: Mm. You know, there are going to be times where we make mistakes, but honestly, there are going to be times where we do exactly what we should do, where we act with Mm self-control and the terrible outcome still happens. And that is why... Jesus ultimately is our hope. Our hope is not in ourselves acting perfectly because we we can make the right thing, but we still live in a broken world that we cannot heal no matter if we exercise our agency or not. And so at the end of the day, our confidence does not come from our agency. At the end of the day, our confidence does not come from our self-control. It comes from the fact that Jesus came, died, and was raised to heal this world so that these broken situations are not the
0: end of our story. Mm -hmm. Sharon, we just have about a minute left. Let me ask you one last question about control. Can it be used to fix a broken relationship?
1: Control cannot. Control. That's
0: (laughs) what I was thinking you were going to say.
1: Yeah, and the reason we know that is God does not design people to be controlled. God is in control, but he is not controlling. We see that in Genesis 1 and 2, where God is in charge of the garden, but he is not micromanaging Adam and Eve. He, he protects their free will, and that is the order of creation that is so important for us to honor in our own relationships. And when we stray outside of that to control, and, and this is different than rescue. Like if, if my kids run out into the street and I yank them back, mm-hmm. I'm not controlling them. That's different. Yeah. But when we're trying to engineer an outcome, it will not go well.
0: Mm-hmm. Been a delight having you on the show. And it's uh, been interesting to talk about your book, the cost of control, why we crave it the anxiety it gives us, and the real power God promises. My guest has been Sharon Hottie Miller. And Sharon, thank you so much for spending time with us today. It's been great. Yeah, it really has been good. Uh, so I appreciate it. And your book is uh, very interesting. It's got lots of questions at the end of the chapters and things to think about and things to discuss. And uh, it, it's, um, I, I appreciate you spending time with us and talking about the cost of control. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. And that wraps up our show for the day. I uh, want to say a special thanks to uh, all of my guests today. Rob Bluey, who came on from the Daily Signal. Dr. Erwin Lutzner, Lutzer was on with his book, No Reason to Hide, Standing for Christ in a Collapsing Culture. And then Sharon Hottie Miller, The Cost of Control. So if you just jumped in your car, that was what we talked about today. And I know for some of you, that's triggered some interest in going to the podcast and saying, oh, I got to hear what Dr. Lutzer said, or I got to hear the whole Sharon Hottie Miller interview. So you can do that by going to MyFaithRadio.com, checking it out. And for the meantime, let's call this a day that the Lord has made, and we can rejoice and be glad in it. I pray as you lay your head on the pillow that you know God loves you, and I do too. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.